Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Hello, thanks for being here today. Uh, it's good to be back with you. It was 99 degrees for like four days straight down in Portland before I drove up, so... Um, so it's really nice to be back with you in more ways than one, but also because you're all here. Uh, people have been asking me kind of, what have you been doing these last five months? Uh, a couple people have come to visit me, actually. I had um, Cody and Renee came down and played board games with me for a whole day. That was really awesome. That was like one of the best days I've had so far. Uh, really cool to see them. Um, Pastor Ken Farman came down and saw me, took me out for Mexican food. That was really cool. So some people kind of know what I've been doing. Uh, playing board games and eating Mexican food. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> At least on those days. But, um, sorry? Oh, and Thai food. Dan, yeah. Dan came down and took me out for Thai food. That was really awesome. I had to drive all the way into Portland during rush hour, but he was worth it. So, um, <laughs> But yeah, it's been a really busy five months. I can't really believe it's been five months already. I kind of look back and I'm like, holy cow, time is really going quickly. Um, I know a lot of you guys are already getting my newsletter updates, so I'm not going to go too crazy in depth with what I've been doing, but just to give you a little info, uh, you know, I've been meeting a lot of pastors, church planners, people who work in church planning and networking. Uh, I've probably got a network of about 25 guys and gals who are all doing the same kind of stuff I'm doing, that we get together fairly regularly and encourage each other and stuff, so that's been really cool. Uh, last April, I went to Michigan for an assessment with uh, Converge Church Planning. They're one of the biggest groups in the nation that does church planning work, and they rigorously tested me on about 100 different things in three days and said, these are the things that we think you're good at. These are the things you need to work on. Uh, specifically, they wanted me to get more work in evangelism and sharing the gospel with the unreached. So since April, I've been meeting with people who are better at that than I am and working on that and trying to improve, which is stressful, as you might imagine, uh, but good. Um, you know, I've been doing working uh, with two different church plants in the Portland area because every book I've read, every person I've talked to, every training I've gone to, they've all said the best thing you can do is work with people who are doing what you want to do. And so I've been going to two churches, one at 10 in the morning in Portland and one at 4 uh, in the afternoon in Portland and working with them, volunteering, helping out, meeting with their pastors, doing pretty much everything I can to learn from them. And uh, this week, one of the pastors called me and said uh, that they're offering me a residency program, which is really awesome. So for um, starting in September, I'm going to start doing a residency with their church, which is really cool. A lot of the training in church planning is basically like you hire a church planning coach and you pay them 100, 150 bucks a month to Skype call you and ask you if you're doing your homework and see how you're doing and stuff. These guys, you work with their church, with people who are doing what you want to do. They pay you to be uh, doing this residency. They help you with all your coaching training face-to-face. Uh, so it's it's a much, much, much better deal and going to really be awesome. I'm super excited about it. So when I got that phone call, I was very happy. <laughs> so that will be starting September 1st. So you can be praying for me in that and pray for them if you know me. They need a lot of prayer. Um, but as I've been going through this church planning process, uh, today, you know, Pastor Jim, normally I would get up here and do teach you something, kind of like open up one of Paul's books and say this is what the Bible says. But today I want to talk more kind of topically about church planning and more specifically kind of like what church is supposed to be about. Uh, Because these are things that I've been thinking about as I've been down in 
Vancouver thinking through what do I want to do, right? And um, I'm reading a lot of books about church planning. I'm talking to a lot of people. And so a lot of questions and ideas are spinning through my head, like all this strategic planning type stuff. What do I want my church to be about? What do I want my people to be doing? What do I need to do to get people to do those things? These are the kind of questions that I'm interested in talking about. So today, I hope you'll forgive me that I'm going to just kind of do more of a topical sermon. And if somebody, if a recording of this gets to my hermeneutics professor, Dr. Green, I'm sorry. Um, Anyways, so two of the questions that I've really been thinking about that I hope to challenge you guys to think about today are, um, concerning the church, the main question I ask myself lately is, what does God want from a church? You guys ever think about that? What does God want from a church? And the second question is similar. It is, what do people want from a church? And... Most of you probably know those questions don't always have the same answers. My job would be super easy if all the people at church wanted the same things that God wants. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be such an easy church to plant? <laughs> We're just going to do everything God asks us. All right, take my money. Let's do this. Right? That'd be great. I'd probably already have a church going by now. But unfortunately, we know that those things don't always align perfectly, do they? And so there's a little bit of a tension there for me because I have to think about both both things, because a church obviously should be following the things God wants us to do, right? That's the most important. But if you don't do the things that people want, then you're not really going to have too many people there. <laughs> and that's problematic if you want to start a church. Um, so I want to look at those two questions today and just spend some time talking about them. First of all, what does God want from a church? Now, when we talk about church... <laughs> It's important to kind of define what we mean, because if you've been coming to church for a long time, you probably know that there's multiple definitions for church, right? And we often call these like the little C or lowercase church, and then the big C, uppercase church. And what we mean by that is the little C is like this building, right? When I say I go to Berean Bible Church, that's my church. Churches with a little C, that means this building, that means this location here in Shoreline. Uh, someone else might say, I go to the church across the street. That's Little C Church. And so what does God want from the Little C Church? Like when we all come together here, when we get together in the gym or when our new building's looking awesome, uh, we get together. What does God want us to be doing? What are the important things that are part of us meeting together here on Sunday mornings? You might be kind of surprised to learn that the Bible doesn't have a ton of information about how we do this. Jesus isn't probably up there upset that we're meeting in a gymnasium right now instead of in a sanctuary or that we serve a certain kind of coffee instead of a different kind or something. Those, those things aren't in the book of Ephesians. You don't have to relook, you know. Um, but there are some things that the Bible does say about meeting together. First of all, um, if any of you have kids in college, you probably been really familiar with this verse, Hebrews 10.25, do not give up meeting together. I heard that one a lot when I was in college. My parents would say, are you going to church? Well, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't give up meeting together. Go to church, right? (laughs) Get out of bed. Uh, That's good, right? We're supposed to get together. It's important to meet together. And most of us here in America do that on Sunday morning. But we also have, like, small groups. Uh, Men get together for breakfasts, right? We have different things throughout the week that we're a part of, which is good. That's encouraged. Uh, the book of Acts talks a lot about what the early church did when they would get together. They'd oftentimes have meals together. They'd eat food. Um, they would meet in people's homes or sometimes in the public square where other people would see them and kind of go like, what's going on over there? What are they talking about, right? 
Um, a lot of times they would have like a sermon or a talk. We know that sermons were probably a little longer than what we do today because we have a story about a guy being so bored that he fell asleep and fell out a window and died. That's, you know, I'm not going to do that to anyone today. <laughs> but they would talk about the Bible and study it together. Um, so that was important. We also know from the book of Acts that at least the very, very early believers had everything in common, which means they shared their wealth. They all pooled their money together and then dispensed it to people as needed. What if Brian started doing that next week? You guys cool with that? I'd be okay with that, but anyone else? No? <laughs> Maybe a rough, rough sell, Pastor Jim. I don't know if you can do that. Um, that's, but, you know, that's not necessarily a commandment. That's just something that we see that the early church did. And take it or leave it, I guess. Uh, Bernie Sanders would have loved that church, I guess. Um, <laughs> ooh, that was not in my notes. I just thought of it. Nobody brought lettuce to throw at me or something. Okay. Uh, Luke, ch- Luke 22, Jesus uh, reminds us, and also later Paul reiterates in 1 Corinthians 11, that we're supposed to get together and remember the Lord's Supper together. We're supposed to take communion regularly to commemorate what the Lord did for us and to remember him until he comes. That is a commandment. We're supposed to do that, and we do that here. Um, 1 Corinthians 14 also says when you come together, you're supposed to have some kind of gift, a hymn, a word, revelation, tongue, interpretation that's used for the edification of the group. Now, we don't do tongues and interpretations here, but wouldn't that change church a little bit if we all had to get up and do a song or a hymn or a poem or something? Kyle, you could come up and sing next week. You okay with that? (laughs) I don't know why. I like to... For illustrations when I preach, but never stop going here, okay? <laughs> but yeah, that would change things a little bit. If all of us had to get up and do something for the edification, that would make our services a lot longer, and um, we'd know what a lot of people's singing voices were like, right? But again, that's not really necessarily a commandment. That's something that Paul says that they do, but we don't know. Um, is that something we should do today? I'm not really sure. But we also know from First Timothy about the qualifications for leaders, right? The book and also some other little places throughout the New Testament tell us what our leadership should look like, what elders and deacons, what their jobs are supposed to be like, what the people who do those jobs, the kind of people they should be, and those types of things. So we know a little bit about leadership, and we try to follow that, right? But other than those things, there's not a whole lot about what we're supposed to do when we come here. It seems like we kind of have a lot of freedom to do things how we like. We can sing the songs we want. We can preach the way we like. We can sit our chairs in this formation instead of another one, right? There's not a lot there. But what about the big C church? When we talk about little C church, it's the building, but big C church is the people, right? It's you and me and Kyle and everyone here. We're part, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're part of the big C, capital C church, which means the body of Christ, the believers. And if you've looked at your Bible recently, you know there's a lot more in there about this group, right? When when we say, what does God want from the big C church? What does he want from the body? There's a lot there. Now, I don't have enough time today to talk about everything God wants from us, but I'm going to talk about a few things that I think kind of are the most important or that if you narrow everything down, you'll kind of end up with a lot of these things. Um, The first one, I think, is that God wants us to seek him. We see all through the New, uh, Old Testament when Israel wasn't doing things or when other nations were doing evil, God would say, if they stop doing evil and seek me, then I'll forgive them and heal them, right? We even see that throughout the New Testament, like Hebrews 11.6 says that God rewards those who earnestly seek him, right? Um, we know throughout Romans, Paul says that about, about the Jews too, that if they would stop what they're doing and seek God, he would be there for them. 
Um, Jesus even says, seek first the kingdom. There's all throughout the Bible, seek God, seek God. Like, go after him energetically, right? That's important. Um, another one that I wrote down was, love God and love our neighbors, right? Now, that is a commandment of Jesus. It was words of Jesus. So sometimes we say, oh, well, that's not a Paul thing. But it, it's all through the New Testament. It's all through the Old Testament. Loving God is the number one commandment, right? And loving our neighbor is like it. Those are things that we're still supposed to be doing today. Um, Hebrews 10.24 says that we're supposed to spur one another on towards good works, right? Encouraging one another and saying, hey, what can we do? What can we do more? What good works has God prepared for us beforehand that we can do together? And encouraging one another. We're supposed to share the gospel. Second Corinthians 5 you know, says that we are Christ's ambassador as if he was making his plea through us. So we, we call that evangelism, right? Sharing the gospel with people who don't know the Lord, our friends, our family members who don't know God. We're supposed to be doing that. Ephesians chapter 4, 3 through 6 says that we're supposed to pursue unity and peace with other people in the body. So if there's turmoil in the church, if there's people that are fighting with other people, we're supposed to take care of that, right? Not just let it go, not just say whatever, sweep it under the rug. We're supposed to resolve those issues and make sure that as a body we are unified in purpose and that we love each other, that we keep peace. And then finally, the last thing I have here is uh, from 1 Peter 4.10. It says you're supposed to use your gifts to serve one another in the church, right? God has given all of us gifts and talents, things that he wants us to use for the edification of the body. And that's important. When you come together, we're supposed to be doing these things. All that sounds pretty good, right? Anyone have any problems with what the Bible says? No. That's good. (laughs) I can keep going. Okay. Now, we get to the second question. What do people want from church? Start just like we did the last one. From the little C. When you guys come here, Sunday morning, what do you want? Donuts. Donuts. Cody wants donuts. (laughs) At least today you're at the wrong church, my friend. I'm glad you're here. Stick around. Uh, Donuts, okay. Anything else? I also want donuts. More what? You want to praise him. Bob, you do a good job of praising him. I gotta say, don't ever leave either. I really love you, man. <laughs> I love that you're here. You get the amens going, so we need that. Wanna praise God. We want good teaching. Okay. Good, yeah. We want we want good teaching. What? I heard another one. Fellowship. You guys are covering all my notes, yeah. I'll tell you what I got here, and this is what research shows, this is what the books I'm reading say. Number one thing people want when they visit a new church, good music. Number one thing, good music. <laughs> I see a lot of heads nodding. Yes, we want that too. That's good. I like good music. Uh, correct theology is the second one. Not just theology, but correct theology. Uh, there's a lot of denominations in the church, a lot of different tribal Christian groups, right? And I think even though some of us might cringe to think about this, we'd all agree that a lot of us come to Brian because of grace theology, right? We like the way that this church teaches the Bible. And other people go to other churches because they like the way that those groups teach the Bible. And so research actually shows people will go to a church with horrible almost everything that teaches the Bible how they think it should be taught more than they'll go to a church with a ton of good stuff that teaches some stuff they don't agree with, right? So tribal thinking is important for people. Uh, someone already said, and I think said, good preaching and teaching. That's really important. Um, we'll be back to that next week. Um, programs. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> 
Uh, programs are another one, especially if people have kids. Oh, man, if people have kids, they want children's programs. They want stuff their kids can go to. They want that free babysitting that's also going to teach them the word. It's really important, right? Uh, this is not a joke. One of the top books, like if you want to become a church planner, there's like three books people will tell you to read. One of those books, I won't tell you which one. The guy who wrote it said the reason he goes to his current church is because the first week they visited, the church had a bouncy house, and when they went to collect their kid, the kid didn't want to leave. And him and his wife said, our kid loves coming to church. We want to be here because he'll hear the Bible. Now, it sounds a little ridiculous to me. I think I'm not going to plan a church with a bouncy house because that's silly. But this is the kind of stuff people think about. If you have stuff for their kids, they will go there. Okay? Um, Community. I think Daryl said fellowship. Community is so important, right? We want to be with people who make us feel loved and accepted and like we fit in. It's really important. All those things are good, right? Except for maybe the bouncy house. That's debatable. (laughs) But all those things are good. We all like good music. We all like to feel like we belong. We all like to have friends at church. Um, We all like to have good preaching and teaching. Programs are good. I'm not here to knock on any of those things. But I think that you would probably agree with me that it can be a little problematic if those things become more important than the things that God wants from church, right? And when those become the emphasis, we can have a bit of a problem. Now, what does God want, or sorry, what do people want from the big church? What do people want from the body of Christ? In other words, what are, first of all, our goals for ourselves in our own spiritual lives? What do we want from our own spiritual walk with the Lord? And secondly, what do we want from the people around us, the people that we're fellowshipping with, the community that we are a part of? What do we want from their spiritual walks and what, what not? Um, I'm just going to go over the things that we already talked about because I think that's the easiest way to do this. But when we talked about the things that God wants for us, I'm going to just go over those again and say, do you think, first of all, do you want this for yourself? And second of all, do you think the people around you here at Berean or whatever, if you're visiting today, whatever church you normally go to, do you think people want these things? And the first one is, how many of us genuinely want to seek the Lord? There's a book, the book I've read the most in my entire life is called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. If you haven't read it, you should buy it today and read it. It's amazing. Uh, In there, Tozer says that one of the major issues facing the church today in America is that we are overwhelmingly content to have our seeking done for us by our teachers. People come on Sundays and say, you know, Pastor Jim, tell us what the Bible says. Pastor Jim, tell us what the Lord's doing. (laughs) And then we go home and we don't seek for the rest of the week, right? We're content to have other people do it. Um, he also says that a lot of us are focused on, well, sorry, let me rephrase this. The church in general is very focused on the act of accepting God, but that in that process, a lot of times we fail to create a love for God during that. And because of that, that many of us are snared in a logic that says, now that we've found God, we no longer need to seek after him further. And when I read that, uh, I'm not pointing fingers, I'm thinking about myself, and I say, boy, that resonates with me. I really have fallen into that myself a lot of times, um, and that's frustrating. So, you know, how many of us genuinely want to seek the Lord? How many of us really want to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves? I think a lot of times we can be kind of content with loving God a little bit, right? If we had to put a hierarchy of what we love in life, (laughs) how many of us could honestly say God is at the top of that? I know most days I could not. 
And I think most of us would probably agree with that, right? It's a hard thing to do. Um, We say, well, I love God a little bit, but I love myself more. I love my neighbor a little bit, but I love myself more. Um, I love my neighbor until, you know, their kid's screaming (laughs) at 2 a.m. or until they're blasting music or playing a movie or something. Then suddenly I don't as much. Um, This is one that I've had to ask myself, too. Do I even believe that it's possible to love God more than I love myself? love my neighbor as much as I love myself. I know the Bible says that, but do I really believe that that's something I can accomplish in my life? Do I really think I can get there? Or is it just like a thing the Bible says and I don't know how to do and so I give up? How about this? How many of us really want to spur others on to good works? That's a lot easier than the next question is, who wants to be spurred on by others to do good works, right? It's so easy to tell other people what they should be doing. (laughs) I don't really like it very much when people tell me, hey, you're not doing enough here at church. You should be doing more. You know, you're not evangelizing enough. You should be doing more. Um, it's hard to be spurred on. Spurs, like if you think, you know, there's a basketball team, but the spurs are named after the little hooks on, or little spinny things on a cowboy's boots, right? We call those spurs. And when I think about another Christian kind of like kicking me in the gut to get me running, I don't really like that. <laughs> uh, it also kind of means that we encourage one another or give incentive to one another to do good works, right? That's tough. How about this? How many of us really want to be evangelizing? Who wants to go out and share their faith with their non-Christian co-worker who didn't vote like we did or something, right? That's tough. (laughs) Um, When's the last time we evangelized? Anybody evangelized this week? Don't brag. What about this month? My mom did. Uh, What about this year? What about this decade, right? We could go back and back and back. Then, there we go. We got a decader back there. That's good. (laughs) It's hard, right? We don't really do this that often. Most of us. Some people do. Don't we mostly kind of leave that up to our leaders? Like, if I bring my friend to church, Pastor Jim will hopefully share the gospel up front. Or if not, I'll bring him multiple weeks. Or, you know, even with our own families a lot of times. When I was a youth pastor, my, I mean, not to say bad things about my parents, but... Not my parents, parents from the kids, but a lot of them would say, I don't need, you know, they had this mindset, like, I don't need to share the gospel with my kids. I bring them to youth groups, so you do that. You know, do we bring our kids to Kevin and say, teach them the Bible, teach them about the Lord, and hopefully they accept, and if not, you suck at your job? Is that what we say? Do we do that? I got that a lot. I don't know if Kevin does or not. How many of us really value unity and peace with one another? Don't most of us here probably have someone in this room that we don't really like? Maybe another believer that we don't really like, that we talk about behind their back. Maybe they did something that ticked us off a long time ago, 10 years ago maybe, and we're still upset about it. Why aren't we making peace with those people? Those are our brother and sister in the Lord, right? Some of us don't even make peace with our own brothers and sisters, let alone body of Christ brothers and sisters. Some of us haven't talked to our family in a long time. Why don't we do that? How many of us really value using our gifts to serve one another? Statistically speaking, they say that if your church has 10% of its members or of its people serving in ministry, that you're doing really well. <laughs> now, I think, actually, Brian has more than 10%. Susie could tell me that. But we do pretty well here, but it's not 100%. <laughs> I don't know if anyone has a church that's 100%. What is the other 90% doing, right? We come to church and we're served. And we say, oh, church was really great today. They sang songs I liked and the pastor had a good message. I really feel great about my experience and then we take off right did we do anything did we serve the person next to us did we use our gifts that god gave us 
Not all hits, right? Now, it's really easy to stand up here and point fingers. I'm not doing that because if you know anything about me, the number one thing is I always ask myself all these questions before I get up and ask anyone else. Always being self-reflecting and challenging myself. These are things that God's really been convicting me about and saying, what are you doing, man? If you're going to start a church and tell other people to be doing these things, what do you got to do? You have to be doing them first, right? <laughs> and that's what I'm learning right now. It's like, holy cow, I need to do these things first. I want to do a little exercise. Uh, in my pocket, I may or may not have a $20 bill. For, the, for this exercise, I have a $20 bill. Okay? I had one, but I went on a date, and that cost way more than $20. So... Ask me about that later. What up? Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> no one's going to remember anything else I said today, so if you had a day. My mom's eyes. Please. Okay, $20 in my pocket. All you got to do right now is raise your hand, and I'll give you 20 bucks. Who's raising their hand? Who wants 20 bucks? That is so pathetic. Like, half the room's not even raising their hand. $20 is not raising, worth raising your hand. Okay. To half the room... There's obviously too many people here that want my $20, so i got to narrow it down a little bit. Instead of just raising your hand, you got to come up here and get it. Now, who's coming up to get it? Okay, hold on, hold on. I win! No! <laughs> Don't worry. 20 bucks isn't that much. It's not a, this, is, this isn't a 1985 20 bucks. This is 2018 20 bucks. Okay. Okay, so there, we still got too many people. So, you got to run around the church now. 20 times, one time for each dollar. Who's doing it? Jack's kid still, or uh, Jack's, it's Jack, right? Charlie, Jack's your brother. I'm so sorry. I'm terrible at this. Okay, we got one guy, Charlie, who's going to run around the church 20 times. Two people? We got two people? Okay, that's two's too many. So now after you're done running around the church, I get to punch you as hard as I can. Charlie's still, you're a crazy kid. I don't know. Charlie still wants my $20. Okay. Charlie, I'm so, I, I hate to say this, but I don't really have $20. I'm sorry. <laughs> You'll never forget this sermon, though. I don't really have $20, but here's the point of that illustration. Most of us will say we want something if it costs us very little, right? If I said, all you got to do, everyone in this room can have $120 if they raise their hand. All of us would probably raise our hand, and I'd pass out all the money I have in the world. After I sell my car. Okay. But the truth is, it starts, the more that analogy goes, it starts getting more and more expensive, right? Until we're down to one person who would let me punch him in the face, which is just silly. <laughs> right? But it costs a lot. That $20 by the end of that analogy costs a lot. So as we look back over the things, as I look at, at this list and I say, God, if I could just raise my hand... Sorry, I didn't really think about this before. If I could just raise my hand and have a deep, meaningful, amazing relationship with the Lord, I would do that. If I could just raise my hand and love God more than I love myself, I would do that. If I could just raise my hand and love others, love my neighbors as much as I love myself, I would do that. If I could just raise my hand and lead a friend or a family member to the Lord, I would do that. If I could just raise my hand and work together with all of you here at this church to do good works that affect our community and reach people, I would do that. If I could just raise my hand and use all the gifts and talents God's given me in a deep and meaningful way that brings so much fulfillment, I would do that. 
But I can't, and you can't either. We can't just raise our hand and get it because it takes hard work. It takes running up here. It takes 20 laps around the church. It takes getting socked in the face by our friends. That's what these things take. They take effort and desire and hard work. One of my favorite comedians, now that I cried, this will be a good transition. (laughs) Uh, One of my favorite comedians, he's dead now, but his name is Mitch Hedberg. I can't recommend any of you listen to him, but I'll tell you one of his good jokes. Uh, He says this. He says, sometimes when I'm out on a tour, I'll be staying at a hotel, and I'll be laying there in bed trying to fall asleep, when suddenly I'll think of a funny joke. Then, I either have to get up and find a pen so I can write it down, or I have to lay there and convince myself that the joke I thought of isn't that funny. Uh, I like that one. You all have terrible humor. No, I'm just kidding. Six of you are on my page. Okay. So what he, basically what he's saying is, you know, he starts thinking about this funny joke and goes, that's pretty good. I would like this. I would like to tell this joke at my next show or something. But it requires me to get out of this comfortable position in bed that I'm in where I'm all toasty warm and the pillow's propping my head up and I'm comfortable, right? So what, instead of getting up and dealing with discomfort, he just convinces himself that it wasn't really that great of a joke, right? And I think that as I think about American Christianity, I think about myself, I think of myself laying there in bed, very comfortable, and I think to myself, are the things of God really worth getting out of bed for? Are they really worth pulling this blanket away and feeling the cold air rush on me? And a lot of times, if I'm being honest, i got to say they're not. There's two mistakes, I think, in the way that we think about our spiritual walk. And the first one is this. I think that a lot of us really lack motivation to put in the work. And the reason for that is because most of us don't really see the effort as being worthwhile, right? When I said, who will raise their hand for 20 bucks, half the room didn't raise their hands. <laughs> that surprised me. I thought everyone was going to raise their hand for $20. Um, I knew some kids that were willing to do some crazy stuff for 20 bucks. Um, but how do we view the things of the Lord? When we talk about all these things, when we talk about um, loving God, when we talk about loving our neighbor, when we talk about sharing our gifts with people, when we talk about leading someone to Christ, or all those things we've been talking about, how do we view those? Do you view those as the same as a $20 bill? Like, eh, it's kind of nice to have if it was free, but I don't really want to get up and do anything for it. I've got my coffee here. I'm comfortable. Or do we view it as like a million dollars, right? Now, if I said I had a million dollars in my pocket, who's running around the church? This room would be empty right now, right? You'd all be gone. million dollars, I would be gone. I would disconnect this and throw it. Um, well, I'd, I'd be running for a different reason because you'd all be chasing me. But, um, yeah, I mean, a million dollars would get us going, right? So how do we view the things of God? Do we view it as 20 bucks or a million I really have been asking myself, personally, why do I not always see the things of God as desirable? Why do I view them as a burden? Why do I view them as a discomfort? I think as I look over this list, and I was working on this sermon this week, and last week, I really started to look at those things more closely and say, like, is this a burden? Is it a burden to lead someone to Christ? I've done it. It was a long time ago. And I can tell you in the moment, it was one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life, right? Anyone who's led someone to the Lord knows it's an awesome, awesome feeling to have God use you in that way, right? But nowadays, years down the road, a decade down the road, I look at it and I go, ugh, what a bother to tell my neighbor. What a bother to walk next door and 
say hi to the person walking their dog or something, right? A friend of mine, I keep talking about evangelism because that's the thing that um, these people convicted me or talked to me in my um, assessment about. They said, you need to work on evangelism. And so what I did was I reached out. If you have my newsletter, if you've been getting my newsletter, you'll know the story already a little bit. But I reached out to a really good friend of mine that I went to grad school with who works uh, in India now. And he's a missionary there doing Bible translation. And he is an evangelist. I mean, he used to embarrass the heck out of all of us roommates in Chicago because we'd go, be going on the bu- uh, train to like see a movie or something together. We're all sitting there perfectly fine. And he turned to the person next to him and said, hey, do you know Jesus? And we're all like, oh, we're just trying to see a movie, man. Like, don't do that. And then we, you know, talk to them and whatnot. But as soon as they said, you need to work on evangelism, I reached out to this guy. And the question that he asked me was this question that's been with me. Every day since then. He said, Josh, what's it going to take to get it? And he was talking specifically about evangelism. He said, Josh, what's it going to take to lead someone to the Lord? What's it going to take? And then he took me out. We went on three prayer walks within about a five-hour time. We talked to a bunch of people that I didn't want to talk to. (laughs) We walked all over the neighborhood, which I didn't really want to do. It was hot out. I'd rather be sitting at home. You know, it's hard to admit some of these things because you, you know you guys are sending me out to be a church planner, and I'm admitting that I'm not very good at evangelism. But I always want to be honest with you and just tell you where I'm at and honest with myself. But that night when Daniel left my house and drove back home, I laid in bed till you know like 4 a.m. I was just laying there, and that, that question kept going on in my mind: What's it going to take? What's it going to take? What's it going to take? And it was like God talking to me. I mean, it's like the closest thing I've had probably in my life to God really talking to me. And I just remember Daniel saying to me, this is what it's going to take. It's going to take you getting up out of bed and walking your neighborhood. It's going to take you going to the girl walking her dog and talking to her. It's going to take you going to your neighbors and inviting them to dinner. It's going to take you meeting the people who work in the office when you pay rent and not just giving them a check. It's going to take you talking to them, seeing how they're doing, asking if they go to church anywhere, tell them what you're about. Right? That's what it's going to take. And those are hard things. Those are uncomfortable things. I can't lay in bed and do those things. Can I? And you can't either. Um, as I look back on that list of things, I have to ask myself, why am I not doing them? And then I also have to ask myself, how do I feel about not doing them? Because that's a big thing. To me, motivation in church is like one of the things that we don't talk enough about. But... You know, as, as I read this list, and you're sitting here and I say, you know, sharing the gospel with people, I say using your gifts, I say loving God. How do you feel? Like, all of us can admit probably that there's at least one thing on that list we're not doing, right? <laughs> yeah? Maybe more. But at least one. How do you feel when we, we talk about that? If I say, hey, uh, you're not evangelizing enough. That's a fact. Probably. But how do you feel when I say that? There's There's a few things that I think we're probably feeling. The first one is probably... Some people are feeling complacent. Like, you're right. I don't do that, and I don't really care. So what? Right? I've felt that way before. I'm sure there's some people in here who are feeling that right now. Like, yeah, that's how much I feel, but don't really care. I don't really know what to do for you guys, other than to say, pray about it, and hope God changes your heart. But if you don't really care that you're not doing it, then you're probably not going to care enough to pray about it. So, I don't know. I'll pray for you. (laughs) Secretly, I'll be praying for you. Second thing is, I think some of us might feel guilt. Guilt is one of the things that I've found in church members tends to be a feeling we feel a lot, but we don't always talk about it. Some of us are feeling guilty. Oh, Josh is up there saying, 
we should be doing this thing and we're not, so I feel bad now. Sorry, God. Guilt can be good because it can bring to attention deficiencies or like things you're not doing. But I don't find guilt to be like a really good long-term motivator. Usually, like if someone says, Josh, you know, if I go to the doctor and the doctor says, Josh, kind of out of shape, you could lose 25 pounds. I'm like, take another look, bro. No. Uh, <laughs> I'll be like, well, now I feel guilty. I should have lost the weight, right? But then I go home and I'm like, what's that doctor now? I don't want to do this. Or you might start working out for like two weeks because you're guilty, right? Oh, he's really right and I should do that. So I work out hard for two weeks. But I'm not really motivated to do it because it's coming from a place of guilt. It's like, oh, I should do this thing, so I'll try for a while. But you're not wanting to do it. You know, like if we talk about running, I know Gary loves running. He's motivated because he has a desire to run. Me, Gary's like, you could say to me, you should try to run. And I'll be like, you're right, that'll get me in shape. But I do it for a week and then I quit because I hate it, right? That's kind of, in my mind, that's what guilt motivates. It motivates you to try a little bit, but you don't really like it, so you're not. The third way we can feel, and I think this is the best way probably, is dissatisfied. If I'm uh, out of shape, you know, and I know I'm out of shape a little bit, I might take a couple extra glances in the mirror and go, no, the doctor's right. I really don't like the way I feel. I'm low energy. I'm not really satisfied with my six-pack being hidden like this, you know. Um, My biceps aren't like they used to be. I'm dissatisfied. I don't like the way I look. And so instead of guilt, I say, I want to do something about it, right? Now, we're using weight loss as a as an example here, but there's a lot of us who are like dissatisfied with how we look or our physical performance, right? Like I'm not the soccer player I was before in college. Well, actually, I probably am. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, but I'm not like the specimen. You know, I'm not in as good a shape as I used to be, so I could kind of say, "Oh, I wish I was better." But then, like for four or five years, I don't do anything, right? I'm dissatisfied, but I'm not dissatisfied enough to the point where I'm going to the gym. So we gotta get dissatisfied to the point where you're like, okay, I'm not gonna just like complain about myself and like not look in the mirror when I go in the bathroom. I'm gonna actually get up and start working out, right? And that's good. If you see that you don't have the life that you could have and you see that the work is worth it, you're dissatisfied with where you're at and you wanna move to this better place, that's the strongest motivating factor you can have. So when I talk about this thing, I don't want you feeling guilty. I don't want you feeling complacent. I want you feeling like, that's the body, body by Jake. I could have that, right? I want that. I want to look like that. But what's it going to take to get there? I'm running a little on, low on time. I hope you'll give me a few more minutes. Um, I think that the first thing is that we really need to be in prayer about this. Because if you're sitting here and feeling dissatisfied, most likely most of us are going to just continue to go the path that we're on for the next four or five years. And we'll say, I am dissatisfied, I know it, but I lack the oomph to get it. And I think that when the Bible talks about how to get to the places that we want to be and how to do the things that the Lord has for us, it gives us a couple really good tips. The first one is prayer. And that's because you got to pray and ask the Lord to change you from the inside. You know, His Spirit's in us. we got to say, God, I don't really like where I'm at, and I can't get over there by myself. I need your help. I need your Spirit to work in me. I need your spirit to lead me. I need you to bring people around me that want the same things I do, that can encourage and push me. So it starts with prayer. And not just little, like, 30-second prayers when you wake up in the morning, like, oh, going to get in the shower. Lord, give me a good day. Like, prayer, prayer, right? You don't know how to pray? Find someone who knows how to pray. Um, I didn't ask her beforehand, but Joanne Pierce, I'm volunteering you. You know how to pray. Anyone here wants to know how to pray, talk to Joanne, buy her coffee. (laughs) I know where I can say that. Um... 
The other thing is, you know, you have to get with people who want the things that you want. The Bible is overly clear about this all over the place, that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone, right? It's meant to be lived in community. I mean, we already talked about it. Spur one another on to good works. If you're alone trying to do these things by yourself, you're probably going to fail. The times that I've had the best workout routines in my entire life was when I was going to the gym with somebody else or when I was a part of a sports team and the coach was there like saying, hey, we can do this. Let's go. One more lap, right? People pushing you on, urging you. You need community like that to do the things that the Lord has for you too. You're not going to just suddenly do these things on your own. Well, I mean, you could, but it's going to be way, way harder. I want to say this too. Um, this is a little off topic, but for people my age and maybe younger, I've noticed that um, kind of in the world today, there's like this young people thing, and I, man, I struggle with this so much, like an attitude of negativity towards the big C church. I think that, you know, I'm on Facebook and I'm reading articles people post, I'm seeing some of the like political things that happen in the name of Christianity, I'm reading like people saying only eat at Chick-fil-A and shop at Hobby Lobby and boycott Disney and all these things, and I'm just like... I hate that, right? <laughs> like, there's a lot of frustration with the big C church or with things that sometimes the church can be about that it shouldn't be. And I think, um, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to start any like problems or anything, but I think I know for myself and for people that I'm friends with and like young people, we can have a tendency to kind of sit around and complain about what the church isn't doing. The church isn't doing this. The church isn't doing that. We're all about that. But like, I agree. But at the same time, we are the church, right? Just because I'm 36 doesn't mean, like, I haven't arrived yet. I'm arrived. I'm a man. You know, I can vote. I can lead a church. I can do a lot of pastoral stuff that you guys can do. <laughs> you know, I can make coffee at church. I'm, I am the church, okay? If you're here today and you're 18, you are the church. If you're frustrated, you're the church. And you can't wait for the other generation to start doing the things that you know we should be doing. you got to do them yourself. You know, and if older people, I, I love older people, you know that. Old people, I love you. you. I love you. But if young people, if you look and you say the old generation's not doing it, you gotta be about it yourself. You gotta start doing it. You gotta start working out and you gotta let people see, the older generation see what working out looks like and maybe pull them along with you, okay? So like, we can do all we want, we can do the church, we can do this, church, we can do that, I'm out of here, I'll go find another place. No, you gotta be about it. Find people next to you that are about it. Meet up with them and do it. Um, sorry, that was a little rant. I'm so out of time, but I'm going to go for a couple more minutes here. Sorry. I want to say this too. So after prayer, after to get, get, getting together with individuals who want the things we want, who really want to pursue the Lord together, I want to say this. we got to start to follow God's workout plan, okay? One of the things I've seen a lot in church is this. Like, we're going to go with the working out plan again, but um, let's say I want to lose 25 pounds. Okay, I do. Say really know how to do that. Obviously, my current mac and cheese and sausages diet is not working. I need to change. But I don't know what that is. So I go down to Planet Fitness or wherever, and I say, I need to talk to a personal trainer, right? Personal trainer says, Josh, I can help you. If you do these 10 things for the next six months, every day, you will lose 25 pounds and be looking good, right? So I look at that, and I look at those 10 things, and I start to say, man, this one stinks. This guy wants me to stop eating mac and cheese and sausages? What is wrong with this nut job? Cross that up, right? Look at the next thing. Lift weights? No, no, no. No. And then I start writing other things in there. Instead of 
mac and cheese, you know, instead of cutting my diet, I'm going to continue to eat this, but I'll only eat it once a week instead of, like, five times. He wants me to exercise. I'm not going to do that, but I'll, like, read a book on exercise. Okay. <laughs> like, right? I start adjusting the game plan, and then I start doing these things, and then pretty soon, six months are down the road, I go back to see the trainer. He goes, Josh, you've gained another six pounds. <laughs> you haven't lost any weight. I go, what the heck, man? I did everything you said. Right? Man, I think... So often the church has this problem where we, we look at the Bible and we say, what's it take to get these things? Oh, great. Those are the things I need to do. Don't like that. Don't like that. I'll replace it with mac and cheese. I'll replace it with reading a book. I'll replace it with listening to a podcast. I'll replace it with whatever. And then we come to church and we're out of shape, flabby, laying in bed, doing nothing. And we go, why don't I do better? Why am I not in good spiritual shape? Why don't I hear God? Why don't I know what God's telling me? Why haven't I led anyone to the Lord? Why have I not used any of my gifts? Oh, this church sucks. Let's go find another one. No, it's you, man. <laughs> you got to follow the workout plan. You don't, you're not going to grow, right? If I could say one thing to do, it's this. Less talking, more doing. Donald Miller, you might have heard him. Um, he says, he has a great quote that says, The problem in contemporary Christian living is not learning the right things to do, but how to do the right things. Man, when I read that quote, I was like, yes. Because I look at this list and I say, I know all these things. I know I should be doing all these things, right? But if I stop and say, how do I do those things? I don't really know. Do I know how to love God more than myself? Not really. Do I know how to lead someone to the Lord? Barely. Barely. I know the very basics. If they don't, you know, accept what my little tractor Romans wrote thing says, what do I do after that? I don't know, right? Um, do I know how to put the Lord ahead of myself? Do I know how to love my neighbor? Barely, right? These are things when he says, hey, it's, it's not a problem of us knowing what to do. It's knowing how to do it. We need to learn how to do it. And the only way that that's going to happen is not really from reading a book or from hearing a great sermon or, you know, a Sunday school class. It's going to take on-the-job training. If you know someone here at Brian that knows how to evangelize, go talk to them today. Say, hey, you've led... My mom led someone to the... Or talked about the Lord with someone this week. I didn't know that. But come talk to her afterwards. Sorry, Mom. Say, hey, how did you do that? Where were you? Where did you talk to this person? Can I come with you next time you're doing whatever you were doing? And you can show me. Right? Do you know someone that knows the Lord better than you do? Go talk to them. Say, I'd like to start meeting with you. Take me on the job training, right? Do you know someone that's working in a ministry that's using their gifts and talents for the Lord? Go talk to that person. Say, drag me, spur me along, maybe kicking and screaming sometimes, but bring me with you. I give you permission to take me on the job training and let's start doing this. That's the only way we're going to learn is through experiencing these things and doing them together. And so after going pretty over time, I just want to leave with this. I want you to ask yourself today, what do you want from your spiritual life? Is this enough for you? Is this enough? I'm not saying that in, in like mocking way. I'm serious. Is this enough for you? Are you happy just coming on Sundays and doing whatever we do here, singing some songs, listening to a preacher? Is that cool? Are you satisfied? Or do you want more? Are those things that we talked about that God wants for us, are they actually worth pursuing? Or are they like a $20 bill? How do you view them? Seriously, ask, don't tell me. Tell yourself. Be honest with yourself. If you view the things as a $20 bill, then I want to work on that. I want to start praying about that.
Who here can do the things that you want to do spiritually? Who's doing the things? Who do you look up to that's doing the things that you want to do spiritually? You know, Wilson Foss used to go and meet with people at uh, the nursing homes, and he'd invite people along with him. Hey, come with me. Come visit the sick. Come pray with them, right? We need more people doing that. So as you look around this room, who's doing something here that you would like to be doing? Ask them. Go with them. Pray with people. If there's people who are dissatisfied in this room, find them. In fact, like, in a second I'll explain this, but get together with those people. Start praying. Say, God, we want to change. We want more. Help us. And then give permission to people to spur you on. Give permission. Ask permission of them. Can I spur you on? Can I push you in this? You can push me. Can I push you back? Let's do this together. Let's live life together. Let's pursue the things of God together. It's not going to happen unless you make some effort. (laughs) And you're only going to make effort if you're dissatisfied. I am way over time, but I just want to say this. Today, after the service, if you're sitting here today and you go, Hey, I'm dissatisfied. I want to be doing some of these things. I don't feel guilty, but I just want more for myself. I know there's other people here, too, that are probably feeling the same way. I feel that way. I live in Vancouver, so I'll get coffee with you, but you got to drive down at least half the time. Um, but I want to just invite people. If, if that's you today and you want to actually pursue this, don't just leave. But after the service, like, come down here to the corner. And if there's other people, just talk to them. Spend some time saying, hey, what do you want to do? I want to do this, too. Let's start by just getting together and praying about it. And let's start giving each other permission to challenge each other and push each other a little bit. Okay? So hopefully some of you will come down here and work on this. If not, that's all right. Well, it's not all right. No mind. It's no one down here. That's not all right. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray and then we'll close. All right. God, thanks so much for this uh, great time up here in Seattle. And thank you for bringing me back to Brian uh, these last couple Sundays. It's been so nice to be home around people that I love and that love me. Um, it's been really, really helpful for my soul. And I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for us as a church and especially a big C church, the people of God who oftentimes in our minds think we want to do the things that you have for us, but then we fall short. We lack the motivation. We lack the drive. Help us in that, Lord. Help build a fire in us. Help to um, draw us closer to you and to encourage us and to lead us into the things that you have because those are the best things. Honestly, it's not, that's not just theology. That's the truth. If we do the things you have for us, that's the best life we can have. Help us to remember that and to follow after it. In your name we pray. Amen.